May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning in our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 18, Christ presents to us a parable. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up and read a few of those verses with me. Luke 18, and in particular, verses 10 through 14. It is the parable that we call the the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And therein, Christ presents two individuals, both of whom come before God, and I guess you could say, define themselves. Two men went up to the temple to pray, says Jesus in verse 10. And the first was a Pharisee. And if you're unsure of that term, it's okay. A Pharisee was really the cream of the crop when it came to religiosity. A Pharisee was a a spiritual leader in the community. He knew what it was to be a man of God. He knew what it was to teach others in the ways of God. He had all sorts of great knowledge, and he lived it out. There were certain requirements Certain standards that God required of his people. They were to be holy as he is holy. And a Pharisee was seen to be the quintessential example of God's mandate. I mean, even Jesus references this perception when he says, In a different place, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Like a lawyer... A Pharisee would know the ins and the outs of all parts of God's law. He was an expert in minutia. He was special, and he knew it. And his posture reflects this. If you have your Bibles open, take a look at how verse 11 starts. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. The picture is one of one standing before the judgment seat. And here the Pharisee comes and he stands in his own defense. Now, I don't know about you, but that posture is an arrogant posture. I mean, I know that whenever I did something wrong, I would try to hide it from my dad as a kid. And when he found out and he made me confess, I could never seem to look him in the eye. I tried, but it didn't work. Actually, most people, when they're forced to recognize that they don't live up to expectations... Or when they failed in something or did something wrong, they instinctively drooped their head with their eyes looking at the floor with their hands fidgeting. We don't like to admit we're wrong or that we've failed at something. And our physical demeanor often shows it. Body language speaks volumes. So for this Pharisee to be standing before the judgment seat of God with his eyes directly focused upon God is already a physical sign of the perception he has concerning his own authority and his own might, if you will. Jesus says this man took a posture of pride. And then he continues. Look at the rest of verse 11 and 12 with me. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Note how the Pharisee begins with what he does not do. 
He avoids some of the the biggies, we might say. He does not go around willfully and knowingly breaking the law of God, especially like other people do. And that's just like an added bonus here. Hey, God, I'm better than the next guy. And then he switches from that which he doesn't do, and he goes into that which he does do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Fasting twice a week and giving tithes of all things, well, all this goes beyond what God requires. It's as though he says to God, hey God, look at me. I'm a spiritual leader and a great example. Not only do I avoid doing what you say I shouldn't do, and not only do I meet your minimum requirements, but I exceed them. I go above and I go beyond. Aren't you, God, proud of me? And if truth be told, we all wish we could be a little like the Pharisee, don't we? Don't you wish, like me, that you could say how wonderful you are when it comes to living a holy life? I mean, we can all probably get away with saying we haven't committed most of the biggies. I mean, we haven't committed murder or anything. But on the flip side, I'm sure we can't say as the Pharisee that we've excelled. I mean, I wish I could say that I know all the Bible stories. Or that I read so much of the Bible all the time. Or that I never have a sinful thought. Or that I give more of my money to God than I do spending it on my own fanciful things. I wish I could say that I pray as I should. I wish I could say a lot of positive things about my spiritual life, but I can't. And not to beat you all up, but I'm sure you're probably a lot like I am. But friends, that is precisely Jesus' point here. The Pharisee can try to stand on his own merit before God, but ultimately, as we're about to discover, he can't. And neither can we. Instead, we're left like the next character in the parable. Standing in contrast to the Pharisee is the publican. The publican was one who was contracted by the Romans in public matters. Things like erecting or overseeing building projects. Or helping with the supply of their armies. But one main aspect of the publicans was that of collecting taxes. And by Jesus' time, this was the primary function of the publican. Thus, the terms publican and, and tax collector are sometimes interchangeable in some Bible translations. So we might hear this parable called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the problem was that these publicans were Jews who were seen to have sold themselves out to the enemy, to the Romans. So they were regarded as the lowest of the low. They were selfish and they were greedy. They were like spiritual and national traitors. And Jesus tells us in verse 13 what the tax collector does. Look at that with me. Luke 18, verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We aren't told what brought about this change in the publican. We aren't told that there was some circumstance that made him suddenly aware of God in his life. We aren't told any of this. But we are told how he approaches God in his sinfulness and in his brokenness. And Jesus presents this in juxtaposition to the Pharisee. This man wouldn't even look up to heaven. 
He was so low, so down on himself, that he couldn't even bring himself to look at God's dwelling place. And the only thing he could say was, have mercy on me, a sinner. There was no footing. There was no stance. There was no defining himself before God by any standard of works. The only thing he could do was to rely solely on the grace of God. And here Jesus says that the tax collector was justified rather than the Pharisee. Why? Because the Pharisee had tried to define himself before God based on his own labors and his own achievements. Whereas the publican relied solely on the mercy and grace of God. And that's the thrust of this lesson today. We have a picture of the the grace of God that overcomes, justifies, and makes the humbled one stand in the presence of God. And we also have today another real-life story who embodies the very teaching and thrust of this whole parable. We know of a real person who was both that Pharisee and that humble tax collector, and his name was St. Paul. The Apostle Paul began as the Pharisee. He says of himself in Philippians chapter 3, if someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. And in Galatians 1, he wrote this, For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. If anyone could stand as the Pharisee, Paul was that man. Yet in our epistle lesson today from 1 Corinthians 15, this same boaster wrote something different. And there Paul says this in verse 9. I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. In that Philippians passage that I read earlier, he concludes by saying he counted all of those so-called accomplishments as dumb, as poop, as a pile of you-know-what. Now, what changed for Paul? Of course, we know from Acts chapter 9 about his Damascus Road experience. Paul is walking, and then Paul is confronted by, and he's blinded by, the glory of the Lord. In that moment, he's brought low. Luke actually tells us that Paul fell to the ground. In an instant, both figuratively and literally, Paul's own self-proclaimed glory and all that Paul stood on and rested on in his life was overcome by the glory of Christ. And he could not stand before the Lord. At one point in his life, he stood on himself. He was that Pharisee. He stood and he looked up at God boastfully. But after Damascus, Paul realized he couldn't stand on himself. He was literally blinded to the presence of the Lord. And the only thing he could stand on was what? The grace of God in Jesus Christ. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, he says. 
Beloved, when we look into the glory of Christ, we're forced to set aside our own glory and to rely solely on grace. When we look at Christ, we realize that all that we have and all that we do is a result of God's grace. Thus, for us, the only value that we have in our lives is that which we are in, by, and through the grace of God. If you're a wonderful parent, it's because of God's grace. If you're a hard worker and a successful businessman, it's because of God's grace. If you have riches plenty, it's because of God's grace. You and I are fellow laborers in the church of Christ because of God's grace. If you're suffering through an ordeal, but you're able to bear through it, it's because of God's grace. If you're able to avoid falling into temptation, it's because of God's grace. During hardships, during failures, during successes, God's grace is what upholds us. It is his grace that gives unto us a crown of glory instead of that crown of thorns. It is his grace that redeems us through the blood of Christ instead of nailing us to that cross. It is his grace that offers us life in his presence instead of life in eternal darkness. God's grace is all that we need in this life to succeed and to come into his kingdom. It's all that we're to rely on. As God says to St. Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. I started this morning by saying that the Pharisee and the publican come and define themselves before God. And today from that parable in St. Paul, we learn to define ourselves. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Who are we? We are children of God's grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.